Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. We are still in the off season. <laughs> we are still watching playoffs that we are not a part of. I think you can but, get used to that. And thank goodness the Blazers aren't a part of the playoffs this year because I wouldn't want to see them out there right now. Let's just wait. This is like getting asked to prom, but you're sick and, uh, you know, have a burlap sack for a dress. So, no, next year. Next year is fine. It's kind of a war zone out there too. The the you know players going down left and right, and things are happening. But even with the Blazers not being in the playoffs, and even with it not technically officially being fully the off season, we have a lot to talk about this week. There is a lot going on in Rip City right now. The first big rumor of the off season, yay! Get used to those because yay. the Blazers theoretically have cap space they don't really have cap space but they could create some with drastic moves get ready for the blazers to be used as possible bidding uh partners for any number of free agents well and did you see the rumors that came out about uh how i think it was chris haynes reported that Giannis would have possibly come to the blazers if you know if he was going to go somewhere else and i always wonder how much of that is you know we knew full well he wasn't going to go somewhere else but if he was portland would have been fun kind of a thing well i mean they said that at the time okay like when he re-upped with milwaukee and the discussion was hot it came out soon after and i forget whether it was haynes or someone else but i think it was haynes then too who said basically look Giannis and Dame are tight, and if Giannis wasn't going to play in Milwaukee, Portland would be a strong possibility. Obviously, that's a, a dream. Uh, that's not likely to ever happen. But, hey, you know, it's fun to dream about. It's heartbreaking to dream about when you think the Blazers actually could have picked him. Uh, if you look at what's happening in Milwaukee and how much he's he's stuck there and had loyalty there, you've got to believe he would have that same loyalty for Portland, especially playing next to Dame. Dame would be his friend, you know, in the vein of Chris Middleton. So, yeah, it's one of the big heartaches. You know, it's not exactly Bowie Jordan or Odin Durant, but... Giannis and CJ, it's it's one of those draft stories. The other big rumor that's happening right now is Zach Levine. Zach Levine to the Trailblazers. This is a, a story that's circulating. And I, I kind of hate this. I kind of hate that this happens because I'm like 98% sure Zach Levine is not going to come to the Blazers. I think that agents put rumors out there sometimes to kind of force pressure, you know, if he wants to stay in Chicago and, and get that max deal with them, you know, they, they want to make him look, it's like, <laughs> we always go back to dating scenarios, but it, it just, it applies <laughs> so well, but it's like, it's like when, you know, if, if your relationship looks like it's in trouble and you want to look like you have other options, I wouldn't call it healthy, but it's, it, it happens, you know, and it's almost like they're doing that like hey you know there's other options he doesn't have to stay with you he's got other choices out there um so i i would assume that that's primarily what's happening i fully expect zach levine to stay with with the chicago bulls and because of that i kind of hate this because you hear a name like that thrown out there and i love zach levine i'm a big fan and the idea of Zach Levine in Portland, I have mixed feelings about, but I kind of hate this, like throwing these names out there and then everybody gets hyped up and starts talking about, well, what about this? Well, what about this? And then it's really just a pipe dream. Okay. So two questions are, what are you willing to do to get him? And also what effect would it have? The first part is easier. So look, we've already been over this scenario in writing and on the podcast. The Blazers technically right now do not have cap space because of the cap holds on their incumbent players. Now, you can uh, get rid of Joe Ingles, you know, and 
that's okay. That cuts 19 million off of that. That's still not enough to sign Zach Levine. If you also get rid of Anthony Simons, you're closer, yeah. right? But you definitely would have to give up Ant to do that. And the other alternative, or maybe not an alternative, depending on how much Levine wants, is to get rid of Nurk as well. So if you're really willing to get rid of those players, you can clear enough cap space to sign Zach Levine, and he might actually sign with you. I'm not doubting that he would under those circumstances. Here's a wheelbarrow full of the most money we can possibly give you, and here's a new home for you. Um, sure, why not? That said, would that make the Blazers better? Probably not. And one of the things I wrote about this uh, yesterday, uh, as people listen to this, Zach Levine is one of those very, 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 very special offensive players. But C.J. McCollum was too. Now, yeah. Zach is very different than C.J., can probably do different things than C.J. did, and he's super efficient. I mean, he's historically efficient when he's rolling. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think, technically speaking, just in the abstract, Zach is an upgrade from C.J. somewhat. But C.J. fit seamlessly with Damian Lillard, usually by deferring to Lillard when push came to shove. Would Zach be willing to do that? Is Zach the best Zach he could be doing that? Also, even when CJ was here, the Blazers obviously had problems defensively, and Zach Levine does not solve any of that. I mean, he's made efforts. I think he's better now than he was three years ago, but he's nobody's defender. And you already see what happens. We've seen what happens when you put a non-defender in a lineup with Damian Lillard. The other three guys, there ain't enough defense in the universe, even if you get defensive specialists, to make up for that. So, I mean, are you willing to bite the bullet and, and make those sacrifices to get back to a team that, even if it worked out, is probably only marginally better and has a chance to be at least marginally worse? I don't know, Dia. What do you think? I think that this is the constant state we're going to be in now that we've traded CJ is we have to do something different. We can't just bring another version of CJ back or what the heck did we do that for? And I think that that's some of the frustration that we're seeing from fans here is we got rid of CJ and, and it felt like it was a steep price for the Blazers. And yet there keeps being talk of bringing in players that are essentially similar to CJ. And it's like, well, why, why would we do that? Why would we bring in some, when Dame and CJ had the chemistry they did, they had the, the way of playing together that they did. CJ was as skilled as he was. Why on earth would you let him go only to bring in someone that's basically him again? That doesn't make sense to me. So even though I like Zach Levine, and even though I think there are some things that he may offer that would be different, I don't think that this is the move. And I, I think going forward, especially with Anthony Simons and as good as he, he is currently and his potential to be, I don't think we should be looking for someone to fill that spot. I think we've got to do something different because if all we're doing is replacing CJ with someone else like CJ, then why the heck did we get rid of CJ in the first place? We should have just kept him. And as much as I love CJ and as much as I wanted him to be on the team, I don't know that we should have just kept him because that wasn't working either. And so we're in this weird place of like, we have Dame who's got, we've got a lot of money tied up in. They're clearly not planning to steer away from him right now. This is where we're at. We have Damian Lillard and that's what we're building around. So how do you create a winning team when you have that much money tied up in players like Dame and now what's probably going to be Ant and what's probably going to be Nurk and, and things like that. What do you do? Who do you bring in? In my opinion, it's not Zach Levine. As much as I like Zach Levine, as much as I'd love to see him in a blazer uniform, I do not think he answers what we need. And I think actually what ends up happening, like you said, is we have to trade away things that we do need in order to get him. So as much as this is like, it's kind of exciting to toss around a big name like that. And it's kind of exciting to think about what that could look like. I don't think it answers the problems. Yeah, I mean, the only scenario in which I can see this working, and that only barely. No, no, okay, let's take a time out for a second. You'd be freaking excited with Damian Lillard and Zach Levine in your backcourt. Every pregame, you'd be going like, wow, I don't mean you, D, I mean Blazer fans, right? 
Well, I mean, I mean we know me because I'm going to be excited regardless. anyway. But you know, people would be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah!" Right? Oh my gosh! And the first week of the season would be thrilling, but then it's going to catch up to you. You know, it's not going to result in more winning. It's not going to result in a title run, and you're going, "Oh boy, this is just a." fancier way to have the same issues this is a move you could talk yourself into after it was made the last two months of the offseason after that move was made would probably be yeah yeah let's psych ourselves up for this but uh, i likened it in you know in the written post to going into a casino bells and whistles and bing 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 you know and it's like wow i could win big here but you know what you stretch that out over time and you ain't winning big the the, the averages are going to catch up to you so yeah i would not be in favor of this the only scenario in which i could see it makes sense maybe maybe underlining maybe is if you traded away dame and zach is 26 he could then become that lead guard he's not as good as dame i'm not suggesting that in any way but if you'd still you know if you had Zach instead of Dame, and then you got a big load of people from Dame, you know, from the Dame trade or draft picks from the Dame trade. I think you could see Zach on that timeline more than you could see Dame on a rebuilding timeline. Even then, it's kind of sketchy, but that's literally the only scenario in which I'd consider this. Yeah, I actually agree. And again, you know, uh, before the internet comes after us, I don't think either of us are suggesting that or even under the impression that that is a possibility at this point. But I think if you're going to if you're going to do things like that, you know, that that's what you have to do. I think they're at a place right now where it's really hard. And even for someone like me, who's been super positive and, and, you know, anything can happen. It's really hard to look at this and see a scenario under which we win a ring with Dame. And I almost feel like we're at the point right now where Dame is not going anywhere, in my opinion. I don't think he wants to go. I think he's I think he's happy in Portland. He's about to sign a really big amount of money in Portland. And it's unlikely that there aren't a lot of teams that can carry that. So for him, if he wants that money, he needs to be in Portland. And it makes sense for him to be in Portland. The problem is, if we're giving him that amount of money, there's just not a lot of other moves to be made here. So, you know, Dame may come out the gate next season just like a a fantastic, I expect him to come out and be fantastic. Damian Lillard is a fantastic basketball player. And, and we have seen that year after year after year, but the last few years he's been playing through injury and even playing through injury. He was a fantastic basketball player. One of the best in the country on the Olympic team, you know, a fantastic basketball player. So Assuming that, you know, surgery went well and everything is back to normal and he's, you know, rehabbed and done the things he needs to do to to keep himself in shape, he's going to come back next year and he's going to be fantastic. I have no doubt about that. But one player does not make a championship team. We've seen that over and over and over again. You know, we've watched with Brooklyn this season when they were bounced out in the first round, they got swept. And you've got guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving who are big and, and James Harden for half the season. And that's where they ended up. And it's like one player does not make a championship team. You can have the best player in the league, the Lakers, and not be a championship team. We've seen that happen over and over and over. So even if Dame comes back, at full strength next season and comes out and does incredible things next season. Even with that, they've got to do something to put people to support him around him, or we're going to be in the same situation that we've been for the last nine years. Oh, I should amend. They could probably dump Anthony Simons and Joe Ingles and Josh Hart and keep Nurkic. They might be able to do that. I'm going off of numbers in my head. I haven't looked it up, but that's another possibility before someone yells at their dashboard that, or their <laughs> while they're jogging. I but, think the point is, though, there are offer, there are options, yeah. but putting Zach Levine next to Damian Lillard because Damian Lillard isn't an option right now. So putting De- Zach Levine next to Damian Lillard is not going, regardless of who you move or don't move. Even if you kept the entire roster as it is, which obviously is impossible, Ooh. and and. <laughs> oh and no! Will, I think I'd do that. I think I'd well, do that for well, the for the trade value, if nothing else. But go well, ahead. 
Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about just the pure from from the player perspective. Obviously, if you can get a player like Zach Levine and add him to your roster with no hit to your roster, you're obviously going to do that. But that's not a reality. My point is, even if you could, it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't fix the problem. Zach Levine isn't the kind of player that the Blazers need. So it doesn't really make sense, even if he's fantastic. So I don't know. Again, I don't think it's realistically even an option. Um, but even if it was, I don't think it would be a good move. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. Now, to answer the question, though, I would say if they were to trade Dame somehow, and I know I get it, you're not on the trade Dame bandwagon, but let's say <laughs> this was going to happen, but and you knew Dame was going to go, would you want Zach like kind of as part of your next generation. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad about that. I think he's a great player. And I think, you know, he, he like you said, he's younger. He's significantly younger. And and I think he's the kind of player that you can build around. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be mad about that being if, if that was the direction they went. I don't think he's enough. He's not, in my opinion, as good as Dame. So if, if you're going to do that, you're going to, again, have to build around him. And I just... I mean, I guess at that point, you have more assets to do that with. You have more flexibility and, and ways to do that. But the more we talk about this and the more we break this down, the more I think we're never winning a championship again. <laughs> so well, that's not true. But I mean, hopefully. But yeah, I mean, my last word is like, look, Zach Levine, if it's possible, is one of the more underrated offensive players yeah, I agree. In the league, you just you don't realize how really, really, really good he is until you sat with him for a while. And I'm not talking about just the highlights. I'm talking about watching him play game to game now. Yeah. This guy is really good. But it's like it's the old Hulk Hogan thing in wrestling. I mean, Hulk Hogan was pretty good at working the crowd, and he had that kind of. I mean, he didn't have a lot of offense, but he was that guy that got super famous. But he wasn't really a good all-around wrestler, and so people go, "Oh, Hulk Hogan, yeah, he kind of sucked." Well, no, in context, he really, really didn't. He was one of the great Mount Rushmore players. I'm not or wrestlers. I'm not saying Zach is Mount Rushmore, but of offense now he better be one of your top five players that you name in the league, probably. And he, and he probably wouldn't make a lot of people's lists, which shows that he's a bit underrated. But I don't think the top five offensive player, uh, honestly, is going to uh, carry you by itself to yeah. a championship, especially when the defense just isn't there. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the same problems we've had before. We've had Dame's a fantastic offensive player, too. We need defense. So they, it, there's just, yeah. there's a lot of moving pieces here that have to be figured out. Again, as much as I like Zach, as much as I'd like to see him on the Blazers, I don't think he fixes the problems that we have. Right. And this kind of transitions us into the next thing. The next thing being that Joe Cronin has been named the GM. He's under contract now. He is no longer the interim. Um, he is officially has got the job and the statement that was released basically said that he's planning to move forward and build around Damian Lillard. So this is why I keep harping on the fact that, you know, Dame isn't going anywhere. They, they don't have any plans to, to blow it up and start over or rebuild at least publicly. If that's going on behind the scenes, it'll be a blind side. It'll be a shock. People won't see it coming. Um, and I just don't think that's what's happening here. I think that if they were going to be doing that, we would be hearing rumors about it. I think we'd be hearing uh, at least not a statement saying we're moving forward and building around Dame. I don't think that's a smart move if that's not your plan. So uh, I, I'm assuming that, you know, moving forward, they're, they're going to keep Dame. They're going to build around him. And, and that seems to be the plan. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy in Rip City right now about Joe Cronin being uh, put as the as the GM. I personally am a fan of it. I think, you know, uh, one of the things that I've heard over and over and over from people within the um, franchise is just that he's a solid, good human being that he wants the best for the team that, you know, he worked his way up from the bottom and, and he's here, which I think is incredible. And, and he seems to be, you know, a guy that's not out there for the attention. He really just wants to better the team. Um, we'll see, you know, time will tell if he's able to do that. I think it's important to remember that one 
Uh, we, he hasn't even been in that position for a year. So he hasn't been there through the whole cycle of, you know, a draft and, and the, the mid season trade, he was obviously there for that, but then there's now we're going into the off season. He wasn't there for that. So there's a whole transition um, that he needs to go through still in order to, to really judge how he's going to be as a GM. And I think too, that, you know, that, I think it's important to give him that time and give him that benefit of the doubt. I think the other important thing to remember is that he's having to essentially undo years of mistakes and bad choices that were made by, by Neil mismanagement of assets, whatever else. So even if we look at his moves and think, I don't know about this move, you have to take into account the fact that he's having to look forward big picture how do we backpedal and get rid of this mess so that we can move forward and i think that those are all moving pieces that are part of you know judging how he is as a gm well look remember bob Whitsitt, and he was the big wheeler dealer and defined a decade and when he left the team wasn't in the greatest situation because he had kind of doubled down tripled down quadrupled down on his tendencies and then they were a mess. And in comes John Nash, in comes Steve Patterson. And Patterson actually turned out, he curdled in the end, so he wasn't, he wasn't a great example. But at the beginning, they had a single job, and that was headhunting. You know, they had to clean up. They had to tear it down. And they're not remembered entirely fondly. They were required to set the table so that other people could come along and then rebuild. Now, Joe Cronin may be the person to rebuild this team. We don't know. He may be fantastic. But even if he were, he would still have to go through the Nash-Patterson cycle of kind of being the unpopular guy and making the hard decisions. And my actual worry is that being new and with there being a, a bit of what I term ambiguity as far as the ownership and what have you and that whole culture of the franchise and their aims that he won't either be empowered or feel whatever bold enough to make the tough decisions. And this whole Damien Lillard thing might be one of them, frankly. I mean, I do not believe there's any chance the Blazers are looking to move Damien Lillard right now. I think Joe Cronin, you take that at face value, but whether they should be looking to move Damian Lillard right now is a different question. I think it's possible that no matter how you answer that, even if they should, they still wouldn't be looking at that. It's a, entirely a moot point. And that I think is something that you really need a lot of finesse, a lot of backbone and a lot of experience in order to step into that situation and make it right. Cronin may have the finesse. Cronin may have the backbone, but he doesn't have the experience and he doesn't have the infrastructure either above him or below him, which means he's in a tough spot starting out. He, and we've already seen it. Like you said, we saw it. What was his mandate at the trade deadline? It was pretty simple. Get this team below the luxury tax. Get this team below. It, it, he wasn't trying to win. He wasn't trying to take back in talent. He wasn't even really trying to save cap space. Single function, do not pay the luxury tax this year because it will hamstring us for years to come. It will make it impossible to do what we need to do next year uh, if we have to pay the repeater tax. He did that. And you saw the results. A lot of talent traded away for not much coming back, for hopes and dreams coming back. That's not Joe Cronin's fault. He did the only thing that he could have done. I'm not saying he made the only trades he could have, but he literally took the only tack that was open to him, which was make those cuts. Frankly, he might have to make more. That might be the right decision, but I don't think he can double down on that. I, I just don't think that's possible. So, yeah, I, I think already he might be taking off with one leg still tied to the hitching post. That's not real promising. That doesn't mean that the doom predictors or the people who don't like him are correct. It's just, I don't know anybody stepping into that situation who could make it come entirely good right now. Yeah. My fear is that he becomes the fall guy that, you know, everybody's in this mood about everything that's happened and he may be great at his job, but I'm afraid that he may end up just being the fall guy, the guy that takes the blame for why we're not winning or why we're not this, it, depending on what happens moving forward, even though, you know, all of the years of Olshay's decisions 
are playing a massive part of that even now. And you really can't blame that on one person at this point, especially not one person that's currently in the franchise. So, I mean, unless you maybe want to blame the owner, but that's a whole other story. So I'm afraid what's going to end up happening is that Cronin's going to become the fall guy, that regardless of if he does a good job or even if he doesn't, that it's going to be this, well, we should have kept Olshay, we should have done this, we should have done that. When in reality, you know, Cronin's coming in and trying to make sense of a mess that was left for him. And whoever had come into this position would have been in a spot that they would have had to make hard choices. They would have had to do unpopular things. And they would have essentially had to try to undo years worth of damage that had been done. So that can be Joe Cronin, or that can be, you know, the best ever GM in the league. Either way, they're going to have to come in and, and make tough choices and unpopular decisions. And I think that due to the fact that he is a new GM, that this is his first time doing that, he he makes for an easier fall guy. Well, yeah. And, and that often happens in organizations. I think anybody who steps into a leadership role understands it. It's interesting because I've had a double whammy in my other call, my pastoral call, that uh, I'm actually pretty good at what I do, okay? At the same time, I came in after a person who served there for like 20 years. So there's a fair amount of institutional blindness to its own patterns and whatever. And the person after that person, which is one of the reasons a lot of pastors don't stay 20 years in the same yeah. position, because you, you do kind of curdle. You, you create an incurving thing. But hey, no judgment. But I knew what I was getting into. So there was that. And then COVID hit. And then COVID is responsible for, like you know, your, your church is physically closed for a year and a half. That's an unprecedented situation, and it affects things. Uh, and no matter what you do, when you're coming back from that, it's a slow growth process, right? There's nobody in the universe who would not be affected by that. But what happens? All of a sudden, all the people who have an ax to grind about this, that, or the other thing have huge opportunity, right? First of all, this isn't the person we're used to for 20 years. Well, done. Nobody's going to be. And by the way, that's probably a good thing. And number two, well, look at this. Uh, you know, there aren't as many people in church. Well, duh, because we closed for a year and a half. But all of a sudden, you skip over all that systemic stuff, and you go, nope, nope, must be the person. This is what people do. I mean, and it's not confined to sports. It's all walks of life. This is not to put a downer on Cronin's appointment. I think he's probably the right person for the job. I wish him all the luck and certainly will evaluate as fairly as possible and really, honestly, try to be as supportive as possible because I like to see what people are aiming at, the good in what people do. But at the same time, I think your point is apt. It's very, very likely that the Blazers are not going to go upward, or at least not very quickly, in the near future. And if they don't, it's very, very likely that Cronin himself is going to get blamed for that, even though there's nothing in the universe that would have prevented it. Yep. Fall guy. I'm telling you, it, it, I'm afraid of that. Sorry, Joe, by the way, let's stop for a second. If you're listening or if this gets passed to you, Congratulations. I know that sounds bitter. Now. I'm not. I really mean it. I think that the Blazers, um, you know, they did fine. And Joe is the right bridge person for this job because yeah. he has institutional experience. He has a good head on his shoulders. And everything you hear about him is positive. He was right for yeah. this job. I don't think someone else could have come in uh, unless that was a super powerful personality that just could bend everything to his will. But you know what? The Blazers just had that. And very seldom do you go in for round two when he got burned in round one. So it was going to be someone like Cronin. And given that, I think that Joe is the right, you know, so we're, we're, I'm celebrating yeah. with you, Joe, uh, and absolutely look forward to great things. I think it's just important to set the table correctly because you know the narrative is already starting and it's only right. going to increase. And we need to be about truth telling. And that truth needs to be repeated so that somebody, you know, there's an anchor to, to reality because it's awfully easy to get off the rails. Yeah, I agree. I agree that this was the right move. Uh, I've, I've been a you know, on board with this from the beginning. Um, I'm always going to root for the guy that started at the bottom and worked his way to the top. I think that there's something to be said for hard work. I think there's something to be said for working your way up the ranks and knowing the franchise and knowing the team on so many different levels and knowing what goes into so many different things. I think there's something to be said for 
um, you know, starting at the bottom and working your way all the way up to a high level position like that, where it's not something you feel owed. It's not something you feel entitled to. It's something you've worked hard for and established yourself for. I think there's something to be said for the respect that he has, that he's established amongst the, the staff and, and the employees. You know, when he was appointed as the interim GM, there were just report after report after report from people within the franchise saying how great of a guy he was, how hardworking he was, just not a bad thing to say about him. I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's something something to be said for the fact that, you know, several months after being put in the position as interim, that's still what's being said about him by those same people that watched him step into this position a few months ago, um, not knowing what was going to come. I think when the people around you are are cheering you on and and saying yes we we are on board with this choice we like this choice this guy's a good guy this guy's works hard and and all the things that have been said about him i think that speaks volumes and you know that for me at the end of the day and i say this over and over and over and over again i am always going to root for talented good Play, I usually say it about players, but talent, people that are talented and good at their job. But at the end of the day, I'm especially rooting for people that are good human beings. And I think that's what we're seeing here. I think we're seeing someone who's a good human being, who's worked hard to get to where he is and is coming in on the heels of somebody that was a mess. Is Joe Cronin fun to watch? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know how to answer that because I'm not watching him. Um, but I have a feeling that if he were to find his way to a basketball court, he'd be a blast. I will say this. I have very much enjoyed the media availability. It's like night and day to media availability with Neil Olshay. And I remember pretty clearly one of the early press conferences. In fact, it might have been the first one after he was assigned or named interim GM. And it was like, people didn't know what to do with the joking around and the lightheartedness because we were so used to Neil Olshay's press conferences that this idea of like making jokes and things like that was just wild. So yes, yes, I would say that is a fair assumption that that Joe Cronin is, is fun to watch. <laughs> Brilliant. That's all we needed. Okay. So I, on another kind of related note sort of we've got <laughs> nice segue dia segue master this is related sort of i mean maybe. we can relate it's all related to the blazers we so can relate anything yes go ahead but uh you know with the front office and the coaching staff and all of that terry stotts you know he he obviously was uh they parted ways last whenever a year ago you guys know the timeline <laughs> yeah what's a, a year ago pretty much from now yeah and we haven't really heard much from him. Um, we we saw the infamous picture of him drinking a beer at the at the Timbers game, and then never heard from him again. But he is back in headlines again this week with uh, an interview with the Los Angeles Lakers for their head coach position. I have thoughts about this, Dave. Tell me your thoughts about this. I think they're going to go with someone else, frankly, because I think Frank Vogel was not the high-profile guy. He was the lifer guy. And yeah, he brought them a championship, and yeah, he had X's and O's, but teams usually go for a different profile than they did before. Now, Stotts is a completely different coach than Vogel, by the way. And I mm -hmm. think Stotts actually would be a pretty decent hire because LeBron. And I'm not sure that there are many people more qualified to work with LeBron than Stotts in terms of LeBron is a coach on the floor. LeBron is a guy who knows what he wants and can get it. Stotts has always been good at supporting that, right? And I yep. think that, so, okay, we say Dame and CJ grew up together and they, they meshed wonderfully, but they were also in an environment and a lineup where they could mesh wonderfully. And Stotts did have a hand in that growth. I think he would be good for the Lakers in that way. I think he would allow LeBron to be everything LeBron is, but also be able to build an infrastructure around him. I'm not sure anyone could solve the LeBron Anthony Davis conundrum. I don't think that they're a, a nice fit. And also, I think Russell Westbrook in there is just damn crazy. But providing they trade Westbrook or get rid of him somehow, I think that Stotts could solve that as well as anybody could. But I don't think they go with him. 
you know, the defense is always an issue, obviously. Although with that team, you know what? Basic might work, even if he can get him playing a base level of defense. It, Anthony, you know, ice in the lane. Just go back. Don't switch. Take your men. Uh, Anthony, drop back and uh, block shots and get rebounds. Okay, that might work, actually. So I'm less concerned with the Lakers than I would be with other teams. So I think he would be a good hire there. I'm not sure if he's the best conceivable hire there. And I, I just have to think they go with either someone younger or someone more famous. Those are my guesses. Yeah. So my initial response to this was, oh, please, no, anyone but the Lakers. <laughs> Let's not put Stotts. I was a Stotts fan. I really like him. I like him as a coach. I like him as a human. I want to see him succeed. But the idea of the coach that I love going to the Lakers is a little bit hard for me to swallow. But the more I've thought about it, the more I kind of love it. And part of it is exactly what you just lined, uh, just explained coaching the Lakers as they currently are is not just coaching. You're essentially kind of babysitting uh, LeBron and and AD and, and they're going, that's not a good way to put it because they're going to have a lot more power than a small child. They're going to be coaching alongside you. They're going to be having a, a say in how things go. And I think you're correct in that Stotts is good at handling that. I don't think he, I don't think his ego gets in the way of that. I think he can accept and, and appreciate a player that's skilled and talented and work around, you know, what they want, what they're good at. I think he would do that really well. And there's this tiny little rebellious part of me that would just really love to see Stotts go from a team that said, oh, it's it's coaching, it's this, it's that, whatever, to, you know, and, and we all look at that and know full well that it was a roster issue. I would love to see him go to a place like the Lakers, where there are clear roster issues, and watch them pull it together and see him succeed and thrive in that environment. There's a tiny little part of me that would just get a little bit of satisfaction out of that for Terry Stotts because there's a rebellious side in there, Dave. And and when it comes to Terry Stotts, it seems to want to come out a little bit. Stotts would also be good on the Clippers, I think. But that, that, position, that. that position's that's not open that. either, but that would be a good fit. There might be a couple other places where he's decent, but I think of all the panorama of possibilities, I would guess either the Lakers or the Nuggets or perhaps the Mavericks, although I don't think they go back there because he's a Carlisle disciple and the Mavs might need a little more defensive help. But those are the three that kind of stand out to me as like, okay, Stotts really kind of belongs here. Actually, four, right? Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks. All in the Western Conference, oddly enough. But I'm not sure he gets any of those jobs. I think, by the way, if worse came to worse, and I hope he gets more than this because he deserves it. So, Terry, again, try not to insult executives or former executives, but how good would Terry Stotts be as a uh, lead assistant? I mean, gosh, how... He's already been there, done that, but you know how every once in a while there's a head coach who just has to ride doing that for just a little while before his next shot. Oh, yeah. if you could get, if you could get Stotts as your number one assistant, that would be magical. Anyway, he deserves more though. You're he right. He deserves more. He's, you know, he should be a head coach. He, he deserves another shot. Two quick more things about the Blazers specifically, you know, headlines. Uh, Nasir Little underwent surgery today. I believe we're recording this on Tuesday um, and it, everything went well. So we are hoping to see, you know, obviously a full recovery from, for Nasir before the season begins. Um, we wish him the best with that. I, I can't wait to see him playing again. He was one that I really, really missed this year. So um, glad to hear that that went well. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before with the keeper Yeet. I mean, Nasir is one of those easy, easy, easy keeps. One of the one of the simplest keeps on the whole team, just because of his his growth curve, his approach to the game, and his athleticism. I can't think of any reason that you wouldn't want him to be back and to succeed, barring that magical unicorn trade. If that doesn't happen. Like Nasir is one of the two or three Blazers that I'm going to find it easiest to welcome back, root for, and just really ride along with, no matter what happens with the rest of the team. Yeah, I agree. 
Also, uh, a fun kind of headline that happened this week. I, I, fun is maybe not the right word, but uh, there is a 14-year-old boy who has been in the hospital um, battling um, sickle cell anemia. And a police officer in Little Rock, Missouri, where he's at. Arkansas. Arkansas. Right. Arkansas. Wow. I, I, there may be a Little Rock, Missouri, but I'm pretty sure that that one was the Arkansas. No, that, that, that don't know where that is. Geography is not my strength. I thought Oklahoma was on the coast for quite a while. So geography is not my. Uh, I mean, with, my- with global warming, that may end up being true. So, <laughs> um, so a police officer in Little Rock, Arkansas, where this kid is, is being hospitalized, is hospitalized, went to visit him and asked him, you know, what his favorite what his hobbies were. And the boy said basketball and that his favorite player was Damian Lillard. Um, and the police officer posted about this on social media. It apparently got back to Dame and Dame contacted the kid, um, talked to him, promised to send him a, you know, a, a signed Jersey, just a really, one of those feel good stories, you know, where you, well, part of it's feel good. It's always sad to see kids, you know, struggling and battling things like this, but I love when we see these guys humanized and see, you know, their hearts and, and the things that they care about. And, you know, Dame is, Dame's a solid guy. And I, I like that he does things like this uh, and I think he would have done this completely quietly without any attention at all. I, you know, he doesn't do these things for the attention. So good story there. It's a, a cool thing. Yep. Real knows real. And uh, it's absolutely, uh, it, it's old school. Uh, and you don't, you try not to let fans down. You try to use your whatever you got for good. And Dame's got a solid handle on that, I think. Uh, and yeah, fantastic. All right, two quick keeper yeats this week. Uh, first of all, Greg Brown. Really quick, Dave. Keeper yeet. Greg I mean, Brown. There's, there's no, there's no downside to, to yeeting or to keeping either of these. Uh, with the caveat again, you need to include them in the trade. You do it, I think. But Greg Brown jumping out of the gym uh, again showed some growth. Absolutely as inexpensive as a player gets. One of the exciting young hopes, even if he doesn't pan out, he's a long shot. Uh, that doesn't matter. Uh, because the Blazers have room for some long shots uh, in their rebuild. So, I mean, keep easy. How about you? I agree. I think Greg Brown is, you know, you, you nailed it for exactly those reasons. The other one for this week is Keon Johnson. We know I'm a fan. He's one of the ones that I was excited about. But I think one of the wins that we got this season in, in all of the massive trades and things like that, I think he's, you know, he's young. He's, again, inexpensive. I think his ceiling is high, and I think he's someone who's going to learn and, and thrive in this environment. So he is a, a keep for me as well. I'm neutral toward him. I mean, I, I trust what you say. I believe what you say. I just, you know, not everybody's going to work out. I don't know if Keon's going to or not. But as you say, same thing, no downside. And he plays a little defense. I don't think he'll get a lot of minutes, but... There's no downside in keeping him, so I'm okay keeping him just to make you happy uh, because I've yeeted a bunch of players that you've wanted to keep. So good enough for Dia. We keep Keon. Yay. Okay, some league stuff that's happening. You know, end of the year stuff that's happening and, and playoff stuff that's happening. The end of the year awards are being awarded. One of the things to keep in mind, it, it's always a weird thing to be talking about this during the playoffs because sometimes these guys aren't even – still playing in the playoffs. And it's just important to remember that these are regular season awards. They are awarded based on the, you know, the things that happen in the regular season. So coach of the year this year went to Monty Williams. Monty Williams, for those of you who don't know, is the Suns head coach. He was a Blazers assistant coach for, I believe, five years, 2005 to 2010. Nate McMillan. Yeah. Yeah. So, Monty Williams, head uh, coach of the year. Uh, I think this is well-deserved. He was the runner-up last season and just one of my favorite coaches in the league. He He's fantastic. Yeah, and I think uh, whether it's with Phoenix or not, Williams now becomes one of the new Popovich types where he's going to be in this discussion every year. He might not win it every year. He should. Uh, and he might not succeed to this level, uh, granted, every year. But he's, he's, he's going to be one of those guys where you go, okay, this guy is perpetually a solid coach forever and ever, amen, and should pretty much always be in this discussion. I, I think he's arrived and you know he can stay as long as he wants. 
Yeah, I agree. Tyler Hero was named sixth man of the year. Tyler Hero from the Miami Heat. Uh, Blazers fans aren't huge on him this year uh, from what I've seen. But, um, you know, obviously a, a talented young player who has been a difference maker on his team. That, a, that was an interesting one. It's a weird award now because I don't think, I mean, sixth man is a little bit of an outdated concept because teams lo- run a lot more lineups, a lot more schemes. Like you, Especially you, this year. Yeah, you run like eight, you know? It's like, it used to be, okay, you had your starting five and you had that guy coming off the bench. Most teams now, if you have that guy, he's in the starting lineup. And you really depend on your six, seven, eight guys for different things, and you use them all. So there's not... I would almost say it would be more faithful to the modern era, instead of having a sixth man, have a six to eight unit, or bench of the year, or something like that, right? So, but... So I'm kind of whatever about Hero. I don't think it's misplaced. I don't think he had to get it. I'm just kind of, eh, okay, this is an anachronism a little bit. Archaic award. Yeah, it has shifted. And I think especially this year, as we saw, you know, we've talked about that. We played like, what, 27 players on our roster this year? Yeah. So, (laughs) well, hey, we can win 25th man of the year. (laughs) I don't think (laughs) we might have the only candidate on there. Most players on a roster uh, award goes to the Portland Trailblazer. Well, I mean, think of the guys, though. Let's uh, just for a second. Will Barton, perpetual candidate. I mean, he just kind of blends into the, you know, and he's been injured. I get it. Jamal Crawford, out of the league. You know what I mean? I like these guys. Do so you think of Cliff Robinson back in the day? Where does this person exist now? I mean, you got like Al Horford and what he's doing now for the Celtics in the playoffs. That's great. But he's providing a special flavor of thing that doesn't have to do with being a super scorer or a super sub. He's like more the glue. Right. And you get defensive specialists and you get three point shooters and these don't belong in the same category. And six men and seventh men and eighth men are spread about all these different, you know, skill sets. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it'll be interesting to see if another really, really super clear, obvious six man of the year develops again in this era. But I don't think the league has it now. Yeah, I I actually think that's an interesting point. Jokic was chosen for the second year in a row as MVP. I'm not thrilled with this choice. Jokic is, I he's incredibly talented. There's no overlooking that. But he is, one, he is one of my least favorite players to watch. I do not like watching his game. I just, uh, he's he's slow. He's awkward. He's uh, he's fantastic at what he does. But I just, I don't like. And there's nothing like personality wise he is not fun to watch not fun to watch like i we found I, the guy <laughs> there they exist i'm just not a fan i'm not a fan of jokic and i no matter how hard i try to get on that bandwagon i can't do it i just don't like watching him i can acknowledge the fact that he's a fantastic player but to me i i, I hate to see this go to someone that i don't enjoy like you want to see it go to like a Giannis who's going to take the trophy out for chicken nuggets I know that's not what it's about but like you like to watch that guy you know Embiid I I like to watch him I was hoping for one of those guys and then Jokic just gets it again do not tempt Nikola Jokic to take that out for chicken nuggets he has to keep the weight off oh or if he doesn't then maybe we don't have to watch this again oh oh, dear He's a technician. Look, the league has shifted. Again, this, you know, who's the big superstar? They're all pretty old, and we've seen them all a lot, except for Giannis, and Giannis already won it twice, right? Let's give it to him again. Well, I mean, I'm fine with that, but there's a certain amount of fatigue that comes with it, you know? And also, Giannis is a real specialized thing, and it's hard, I think, when you don't have anything to compare a person to to keep voting him again and again because there's a danger of the ward just becoming so specialized well we might as well give it to Giannis every year because he's the only person who can do what Giannis does right and if we value that taking into account but i get it but people don't do that right they go Giannis. that's brand new he's unique Giannis, yeah he's super you know he's just Giannis. okay we can't give it to Giannis again right so Give it to this guy. He okay. seems like he needs to pick me up. Here's why, though. Here's why. Because 
Jokic does things that are analogous to what everybody else does. He just does them all technically really well and at a super high level. So is he the best rebounder in the league? No, but he's really, really dang good. Is he the best passer in the league? No, but he might be the best passer in the league at center. I don't think there's much argument about that. Is he the best scorer in the league? No, but he scores from all ranges and is one of the best scorers. So, uh, and every time he gets the ball, he's dangerous. They kind of, I think we've gone the opposite of specialized. We've gone like literally does all the stuff and like, does it really well kind of, Go ahead. isn't that kind of a wild thought that the mvp of the nba isn't the best at anything well he's the best center at it i mean you can argue Embiid, and Embiid is his I own think, kind i would have Embiid over Jokic. yeah that's fair i think you can make that argument i just think people are uh, literally they're they're overwhelmed by his technical prowess and his ability to be dangerous doing literally everything thing and they're going like yeah i want the buffet uh and entertaining what's that doing everything except entertaining i just don't like it okay but look sometimes you want the three michelin star restaurant or sometimes you want to go for thai or greek or whatever that's Giannis, right and yeah. the three Michelin star might be uh, Embiid or might be LeBron. But sometimes you're just going for that damn good all you can eat, right? And you're going like, I want it all and I want to have it now and I want it never to stop. And they're going like, that's the best restaurant ever. Well, you know, maybe it isn't, but it might be the best restaurant experience ever uh, for some people. Yeah, I can tell. It's not it's not Dia Thin because they got too much stuff for you. You like <laughs> like two things. Right? <laughs> so you just want those two things done well. 40 things, 38 of them are wasted on you. Exactly. That's exactly why. Okay. So the last kind of, I guess, storyline that we have to talk about tonight is, you know, there's been a couple big injuries uh, this, this during the playoffs. Um, first, Gary Payton Jr. Uh, is, is out for a while. I think there's a possibility if they make it to the finals, he could come back for that but he's out for the foreseeable future and then now as of today i believe john morant is out with an injury as well um both of these injuries came from plays that are being talked about as possibly being kind of i hate to use the word dirty but that's the word that's circulating but i think that that's you know it, it it's an important concept to talk about there's a difference between a dirty play and a dirty player there's also a difference between a dirty play and just a bad play or a, or an unsafe play or even just an uh, unnecessary play. Um, we've talked about that in the past as well. Um, but I think, you know, th this is a tricky, this is a tricky narrative that's out there about, you know, dirty plays and dirty players. Um, I just always err on the side of caution when saying things like that, I think the majority of these guys are not out to get someone. They're not going to hurt somebody or endanger somebody purposely. You know, this, the NBA as it stands today is a dramatically different NBA than it was 20 years ago. You know, this NBA, today's NBA, these guys are friends. They know each other off the court. They interact on social media. They hang out. They do things. It didn't used to be like that. There used to be bitter rivalries that extended off the court as well. And I think maybe some of that dirtiness crept in there a little bit more. I think in today's NBA, overall, there are exceptions, but I think overall, Guys are out there being competitive, they're competing, they're playing their hearts out, but they don't have the intention of hurting another player or being nasty to another player. It's the game. It's about winning or losing. It's not about an actual off-the-court relationship. So I tend to think that most of the time, even when a play itself is dirty, I don't think that that's coming from a place where a player is trying to injure or hurt someone. I think it comes from a place of adrenaline, of, you know, just not thinking through something and just acting. I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but I think it's a rarity that a player actually purposely hurts another player. Well, I will admit that I've been busy all day and have not seen the John Morant play or the John Morant news. I think that, I mean, Gary Payton, oh, God bless Gary Payton, but I think Morant is the story here. Uh, and it breaks my heart. I mean, I'm trying to think of another loss. I mean, Giannis... Maybe uh, because his team is more prominent, has a better chance. Embiid, 
obviously. Steph Curry. What's that? Steph Curry would be yeah, one. Yeah, but like even Steph, there's some infrastructure there. And I'm not saying there isn't in Memphis. They've got some good players. But Jaw is such the soul of that team. And in some ways of the non-expected winners in this playoff, I mean, let's segregate out the championship teams a little bit and say, okay, that's one level of conversation. Among everyone that you don't expect to win the championship, I think it's Jaw and Luca are the two where you go, those guys, oh, wow. And Jaw is newer and I think more exciting. And there's something pure about it even. So I'm trying to think, I'm not coming up with a player that I regret seeing injured more out of this playoff group, okay? That said, as you say, this is part of the game. I mean, Blazer fans know this. The, the, the best run this team had ever they went on it despite this, but they, they were playing better basketball when Yusuf Nurkic went down with his broken leg in March of 2019. There was no there was no comparable basketball, I would say, except for maybe 2014 in the last two decades. They were playing really, really well. And they lost him. And it's never quite been the same, frankly. This happens. Also... Playoff basketball involves contact. And again, I haven't seen the play. If it's dirty, if it's super underhanded, obviously so. I apologize. But I will say this, that you cannot sanitize the contact or even the aggressive contact out of basketball, let alone playoffs basketball. You cannot have a game where nobody touches the other. You cannot have a game where there's no risk of injury. Uh, And even the players themselves, I think, would not... I'm not sure they would enjoy that, let alone anybody else. In some ways the teams that win it have to endure this and the Grizzlies are not going to endure losing jaw. I get it. It's terrible when it's your top player, but injuries uh, and tragedies like this have been part of the framework of the playoffs from time immemorial. And there's nothing that you're going to do that's going to stop them and leave the game intact. If there's a specific dirty play, sure, that should be addressed and punished. But the overall, like, oh, is this dirty? We should get rid of this. You you literally can't. And unfortunately, I think, you know, things like this, <sighs> they're sad, but they're somewhat inevitable. Yeah, it's it's a rough situation. You know, I obviously wish the best for, for all those players. Hopefully, we'll get them back before the playoffs are over, before their teams exit. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll see. I think that's definitely a big blow for for jaws team i think he's gonna you know he's you're right he's kind of the heart and soul of that team on top of being one of their best players so it's a rough it's a rough break for sure that's all i've got for this week Uh, we packed a lot into this this week's you know it's the off season i keep thinking okay we're gonna have a shorter one there's not as much to talk about and then here we are so no not until about mid-july late july august we're gonna have to invent some things but then your optimism will be ramping up for the new season so that's going to carry us through we're going to hear how much fun to watch uh, these new players are going to be and how they've really got an inside chance or outside chance anyway to uh, get into contention so I expect to be carried through all the way to opening day I don't think we're going to have much of a lull because Dia is the anti she's the vaccination for 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 the off season she just ca- carries us right through with optimism We'll see. We'll see how that optimism is is holding up by two months in. <laughs> oh, it'll work. It'll work. They're, they're gonna get. They're gonna sign somebody. I mean, if nothing else, to do a mid level exception, or they're bringing. They'll bring Joe Ingles back on a reduced contract, and you're gonna go. He's the solution at swing forward, and the Blazers now have three point shooting, and you know if they can just pick up a power forward with that mid level, and they got Nurkic, and they got uh, Eubanks coming back, and you know they got a front court now, and they got a great back court with Dame and Anthony Simons, and I really think Dave, I really think that they've got a chance this year. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, see? It's it's awesome. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for my Dia fix in August. Well, I got time to amp it up. That's right. All right. Well, we will see you all again next week. Oh, by the way, by the way, this is the 10th, right, that we are recording this. Mm-hmm. Do you know when the NBA lottery drawing is? It's in four days? It is the 17th. Oh, okay. You know what that means? 
That means it's a week from today. You know what that means? We're going to know the next time we meet when the Blazers pick is. And by the way, we should explain that briefly. I'll explain it in writing too. Folks, here's what you want. Watch the envelopes being drawn. If they skip Portland's, it's their top four. So you got to watch all the way up to six. Of course, they could end up seven, eight, nine, tenth. I mean, tenth would be a disaster. But you want to see no tenth, no ninth, no eighth, no seventh, no sixth, right? And then after that, if you if you see no sixth, you know their top four. We'll all hope for that. You know, maybe we should try to record that live, Dia. That would be interesting. We could watch well, and we could be on the mic if that's possible. Let's see what happens. All right. Anyway, for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard. We will see you all next week with a lottery pick in hand. Yay! A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here an alley She jams it. Boom! Shakalaka! Cloud is on his feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent!